Welcome to TCN Talks. The goal of our podcast is 15 to 20 minutes of relevant, need-to-know information to help you in your role as a hospice, palliative care, and serious illness leader, and for the team at all levels of the organization. Our goal is concise and relevant information because brevity signals respect. And the bookends of our podcast are always something to make you think deeper about life, about our topic, or both. And now, here's Chris Como. Hello and welcome. Before we get started today, I want to thank our sponsor, Delta Care X. Delta Care X is the title sponsor for our 2022 Telios Collaborative Network Leadership Immersion Courses. Delta Care X is the premier vendor of Telios Collaborative Network and provides pharmacy benefit management services that allow their clients to experience deep discounts utilizing a preferred local network of pharmacies that can provide same-day delivery when necessary. Thank you to Delta Care X for all the great work that they do in our hospice segment, Hospice Movement. Also, our Telehas Collaborative Network Leadership Immersion Course is the week of November 7th. This training has been reviewed as some of the most potent and powerful leadership training hospice and powder care leaders have ever been through. So join us. Go to Telehas, T-E-L-E-I-O-S-C-N.org, and look under courses. Our guest today is Dr. Will Faber. Will, welcome. Hey, great to be here. Glad you could... Uh... I can spend this time with you. Yeah, good to have you, Will. Well, first off, Dr. Faber, what does our audience need to know about you? Well, I think they'd want to know that I'm a primary care doctor, board-certified family practice doctor who actually practiced for 27 years in a variety of settings, from the cornfields of Indiana to Silicon Valley. And um, I've always had a focus during my entire career on population health management, which is very pertinent to our conversation today. But I also have a degree in medical ethics and a real interest in end-of-life care, and I was a former hospice director at one time. Currently, in my role as a consultant, after spending many years in industry in a variety of leadership positions, I get to help set up the infrastructure to deliver value-based care all around the country, and I've had clients from Washington to Florida and Boston to San Diego. So... Um, I've been around various forms of value-based care for over 30 years. Well, 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 you, Dr. Faber, you are a blessing to our TCN network. Some of our members may not know, but you're actually also part of our board of Telias Collaborative Network and have been such a great resource in our journey to become a clinically integrated network. And our title of our talk today is going to be Value-Based Care and Reimbursement, Where the Puck is Headed and the Puck is Now in the Arena. So maybe a good place for you and I to start, Dr. Faber, is what is value-based care? You know, value-based care uh, will benefit from being defined a little bit because it's thrown around quite loosely. There's value-based reimbursement, which are various payment models. Value-based care is a delivery system. It is a mechanism or a way to produce the outcomes that are demanded by the value-based reimbursement models. And it can serve a number of different ways in which value-based care is paid for. It's the infrastructure, it's the system of care that maximizes benefit in those value-based reimbursement contracts. I'll say a little bit more about it. The term is often used in distinction to fee-for-service care which is still standard in the United States. We've had it for many, many years. 
And fee-for-service care pays you to do things. It rewards you for doing more, even if the more that you do is not necessarily beneficial to the patient. Value-based reimbursement rewards outcomes. And those outcomes are quality, patient satisfaction, and efficiency. We want to try to manage the healthcare dollar. And so it's really quite distinct from fee-for-service care, and it makes many people in healthcare delivery kind of crazy and schizophrenic to try to serve two masters because value-based care rewards doing less sometimes, uh, and fee-for-service almost always rewards doing more. And uh, that puts a lot of organizations in a pickle. And we can talk today a little bit about how to see your way through that dilemma. Thank you, Dr. Faber. Well, and the visual I get, which you used recently in a Telios Club of Network meeting, is there's two canoes. I don't, we, they have one, and which is awfully hard. I went kayaking with my family this past weekend, and uh, it's almost impossible to actually try to stand on two canoes. And so that fee-for-service world and value-based world. And before some of the hospice and powder care folks say, well, this doesn't apply to us, let's, let's bring it home to them. So given how we're reimbursed for hospice and powder care today, how do value-based care principles apply specifically to the business model for hospice and palliative care? Sure. One thing that I know to be true is that it takes a while to create the infrastructure to deliver value-based care well, to make good in that variety of value-based reimbursement contracts that are out there. So even if you're not being paid today for efficiency, and for quality outcomes, and I would argue that to some extent you already are. Uh, there is no doubt in my mind, looking at the whole history of reimbursement in the United States and specifically how Medicare reimburses, that it's only a matter of time until more and more value-based reimbursement elements are in the hospice payment. And certainly that applies to palliative care as well. But equally important, and so many organizations forget this, they're focused just on the payer. What does the payer want? People should always also be thinking about the competition because somebody is going to take the patient and it's going to be your organization or somebody else's organization. And I argue, who doesn't want value? We all seek the best product, the best service we can for the lowest price. That's just human nature. And even if payers are paying one organization by the same mechanism as they're paying the other one, patients will vote with their feet to go to where the quality is better, if they can perceive the quality difference, certainly where the service is better, and at some point along the line, depending on their copay structure or their coinsurance structure, they may shop a little bit about, well, where is my money going? And I'll finally say this. The insurance companies, in a way, represent the constituency of premium payers, just as Medicare represents taxpayers. And those who are aggregating those lives, collecting those premiums and collecting those taxes are always going to be shopping around for where they can find the best value, whether they call it value-based care or not. 
So I think it's just incumbent on every organization to constantly be improving your quality, decreasing waste, because it's going to come home to roost one way or another. Just don't forget competition. Uh, often hospice and palliative care are critical portions of a complete ACO or CIN, clinically integrated network, or other system of care that covers the entire continuum from cradle to grave. And those organizations that are at risk for dollars are going to be looking for the best value partner they can have in their network. Insurance companies want a preferred provider in a network. So do regional systems of care. And as the population ages and, and uh, there's more end-of-life issues for our whole country to deal with, uh, the people on this phone call are going to be critical, critical components of how to deliver that care more cost-effectively. Thank you, Dr. Faber. Every time I hear you talk about this, I actually, I learn more and things occur to me. And so listening to you just now, something that I just had an aha moment, you know, in, in many respects, hospice was such a great innovation in terms of a benefit back. This is even kind of pre DRG that uh, for, which is how hospice, for our listeners, that's how hospitals are reimbursed. So hospice was a great innovation where we were given a per diem and we had to actually manage care no matter what the extra patient cost. And so you had to manage within that per diem. So we were kind of country before country was cool. And now that the world is kind of catching up with value-based care, I think maybe there's almost, uh, it doesn't apply to us or complacency doesn't feel right, but like almost it doesn't apply to us. And Dr. Faber, when you were talking in our board meeting recently, because when I often hear fee-for-service, I think about the rest of healthcare, the rest of healthcare that does more stuff to more to, to people. You do more transactions, you get more fee-for-service. But I had an aha that in our world, so on the palliative care side, doing more visits with the patient would be the example of more fee-for-service, which is interesting because when we go into the future where we're trying to get maybe a per-member, per-month reimbursement, which is kind of more akin to the hospice side, we're going to have to think differently because then it's about managing that patient within that per member per month. And on the hospice side, one of the biggest complaints of our industry is long length of stay patients, which in there's, that's a whole thing in terms of, you know, how good are we with prognosis and the referring physicians with prognosis. But those long lengths of stay and several years ago, uh, uh, Four Seasons was actually involved in a CMMI grant, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Innovation. And what we found is, and that 90 to 120 day length of stay, we save money. But when you start going outside of that, actually, you don't save the system money. So there is an applicability in our world to fee for service, which would be long length of stay on the hospice side and more visits on the palliative care side. So maybe that sets us up well for our next question, which is then given this, how do hospice and palliative care organizations strategically position themselves to be a part of the solution of the future value based care? I encourage all the listeners in answer to that question to think critically and get in your boardroom and talk about this as a leadership team. How do you define quality? What can you do that is more efficient? How can you provide better service? Those are not as easy to define as you might think. You need to really think about how can we say to the rest of the world, we're better than the other hospices down the road. And um, to put that to paper and define what a quality outcome is that matters, not 
not metrics that don't matter. I'm a big fan of something called metrics that matter. Um, is it going to bend the cost curve? Is the resource we're going to invest here really going to pay off in the long run? What can we do to make our quality better than somebody else's? And then think about how could you measure that? Because everybody says we're the best. Payers, consumers, the government, they want to look at something objective. As a matter of fact, the Federal Trade Commission requires this. If you're going to have a clinically integrated network, you've got to objectively demonstrate that your quality is better. And so I'll bring it back to the question. Think about how you can improve your quality in a demonstrable way. How can you improve your service? How can you improve your efficiency so you can legitimately say and portray to the world, we're better than the guy down the road, remembering what I said a minute ago, it's not just the payer that you're concerned with. You're also concerned with the competition. And as the American population ages out and the baby boomers haven't peaked till 30, 2030, you know, we still have another eight years left to go. Tons of people are jumping into the hospice world, right? They see money, they go where the money is. You got to stay ahead of them with something that's actually demonstrably better than them or else people will vote with their feet, or the payers will help them vote for their feet by putting you in their narrow network. Dr. Faber, there's, there's so much to unpack here, and I'm, I'm so glad that we had you on. In fact, I, I should have given you a shout-out because you wouldn't say this about yourself, but you were voted one of the top 50 value-based thinkers in the country. So I want to specifically speak to hospice and pedicure staff because we have a lot of listeners at the staff level and before you started to go, well, gosh, this is something my leader needs to worry about, where Dr. Faber just took it to, goes directly to you because what's happening by the bedside, we now have measures. We have CAP scores. We have quality measures. Um, how many of us have just shopped with for Amazon just in, it could be within the last 24 hours. I used to say in the last week, it's probably in the last 24 hours. And how many of you look at those ratings and reviews to determine what you purchase? And the other thing that Dr. Faber is making a huge point on, the baby boomers are going to be so different as a customer compared to who we have traditionally served. I've grown up in this movement now for 25, 26 years, and most of our customers have been the greatest generation who we've served. That is shifting as we speak, and they're going to be a lot more discerning customer. And the other thing that you're poking on, Dr. Faber, that you've made the point several times is competition and people voting with their feet. We've got a graph that we've showed a lot of our boards that we work with in the Antilles Collaborative Network. And the trend line on competition, especially on the for-profit side, Telias works just with nonprofit agencies, is huge because there are a lot of people that see, hey, there are a lot of people dying in America, so it must be a great business opportunity. So us becoming very sophisticated to think in these terms that you're describing, it feels like the time is very much now. Um, and I, I remember I worked with the student group, Will, for a while, and I got to see on the front end of how they really helped hospitals think about, you know, their Prescani scores and how that was a new competency for them. And I remember thinking, that's coming for us, and we're very much in that now. And Janelle McCallum on our TCN team works quite often with all of our TCN members on something that's very proprietary within TCN that we call the five gyms. They help our members get better at that. But I just wanted to kind of give that shout out because I think sometimes our hospice and palliative care staff, especially that have been here for a while, because this is such sacred ground that we walk on. When, when patients and families call you an angel, that goes to your head after a while. And you might, might want to go, this stuff doesn't apply to us. 
owe it very much as applying and it's going to apply even more as we go forward. So, well, how do organizations then align their incentives of the providers within their organization, given some of these kind of contradictory payment mechanisms of fee-for-service and value-based care? I remind people that we don't have just one variable we're trying to serve. We're trying to maximize a couple variables at once. And so just typing fast doesn't matter if you make a bunch of errors. Just hitting a golf ball 300 yards doesn't matter if it goes off into the woods. You're trying to get accuracy as well as volume. You're trying to make sure that you're doing productive work, but you have to simultaneously reward the outcomes that we just talked about. What is quality? What is service? What is cost effectiveness? And um, so for physicians, for instance, many doctors have had to have their compensation plan changed, which by the way, I've done, and it's not fun. You got to give them lots of heads up. You got to involve them in the process and you got to under, help them understand why it's to their best interest. But you don't put all the all the dollars at stake for generating RVUs. You put some of the dollars at stake. Matter of fact, we recommend at least 15 to 20% of their income or else it's not adequately motivating into the quality outcomes that you're going to need to perform in a contract, which then creates the revenue that then you can distribute back out to the physicians. So what I'm saying is uh, just a R- work RVU kind of compensation model is like rewarding somebody to hit the golf ball 300 yards. You need to put something in there. Yeah, and we'll give you more money if you hit it on target. And and uh, that that's a process. You have to really work with the physicians to do this. But the same may also be true with staff. Depending on how you pay your staff, you may give them incentive bonuses for maximizing multiple variables at once. Uh, it's interesting, Chris just mentioned, uh, sometimes you send the, the nurse out for more visits than you have to. Why? Because in the long run, that's gonna pay off. That's an investment in the overall total cost of care. Value-based reimbursement causes you to think through what's a good investment. Don Berwick, who coined the triple aim, now it's the quadruple aim, I happen to get to interact with Don every year. He always would say, sometimes you have to do more, which sounds contradictory to this fee-for-service distinction I'm making, to get the ultimate outcome that saves dollars. In other words, you have to prime the pump or put some resources in at the front end to get the better care for the patient in the long run. And it's incumbent on us as leaders of our organizations to think about that big picture. I think that's one of the biggest problems that we have in American healthcare is everything's gotten so siloed, granulated, subspecialized that we don't often back up and say, yeah, but how does all that fit into the big picture of what we're really trying to deliver for the patient? So there's much you can do to align the incentives of your uh, providers. And it's not all just compensation alignment. I always remind people, you can give people pats on the back. You can show them data that makes them feel good that they've improved their performance. You can give them meaningful supports that lets them cut out wasted activity, which is not to anybody's benefit. You can streamline your EMR systems. You can streamline your operational workflows so that the right person is doing the right work at at their uh, competency level, right working to your license. 
All those things can be done to incentivize getting your whole team rowing in the direction of value. Wow. Well, well, one of the analogies whenever I heard you do our presentation recently that you did for our whole Telios Collaborative Network is I got this visual. You know, I'm a simple guy, so I think in terms of pictures. And I said, there's this big, beautiful river today. It's deep and wide, and we have this wonderful grist mill that is our hospice and palliative care programs next to that deep and wide river. And the work that you've done on the acute care space, which now their their deep and wide rivers are already fractured into multiple tributaries. That's what's coming for our hospice and palliative care folks. And then the question is, is how are we going to make sure that we're setting up camp where what was one grist mill might be multiple grist mills next to these future tributaries of reimbursement as value-based reimbursement, value-based care affects every aspect of healthcare. And one of the things I love, Will, in your meeting is that that you had with us, we as hospice and palliative care people are part of the solution, especially because of what you poked on about the quadruple aim. In fact, what we say quite often to all of our Teleos members, we only deserve a ticket into the future if we are making a substantive difference towards that quadruple aim. And you actually lead our initiative with our clinically integrated network measures. And again, hospice and palliative care staff, before you want to tune out to this, what you're doing by the bedside translates exactly what we're talking about. So the quadruple aim, if you never heard it before, is how do we do what we do with better service, better quality, do it at lower cost in a better work environment, employee engagement. So each organization, in fact, this is some of the work that Teleos does with our members. We do something called an operating plan each year. And you, in fact, you might hear your CEO and CEOs know that they talk about these measurable outcomes that they're setting as an organization. And what I love about all this, Will, is this competency is actually embedded in the hospice model of care. Why hospice was so brilliant is it kind of looked across multiple pillars. It believed the human being was body, mind, spirit, social, emotional component. And we developed a care plan based upon that and usually sometimes have substantive measures in that care plan. Maybe it's a pain score, something that matters to the patient and family. So these competencies have always existed within the model of hospice. Now we need to model these disciplines at an organizational level and our staff and leaders have to be aligned. In fact, well, you might laugh at this. I used to say hospice is like a terrorist network and people go, what? <laughs> and it really was for a fact. And say, well, supposedly a terrorist network, you could cut off the head and it could still function. What I saw in a lot of the hospices I traveled, especially during my time at Studer, is staff did their thing and really staff and leadership weren't aligned. It's almost like leadership was doing their thing in a different room and hospice was doing their thing, hospice staff next to the bedside. But I said, we're going into a time when the organizations are going to have to be aligned because they're going to be measurable outcomes that we're going to be judged based upon. So I think those times are now upon us and are going to even accelerate more the next five to seven years. So, Will, any final thoughts to any of that or just final thoughts overall to our subject today? Well, I like your tributaries to the river that we're sitting on. I think it's a nice analogy. And we literally talk all the time about revenue streams, right? So stream, right? The, the, verb, the verbiage is already there. Don't put all your eggs in the fee-for-service basket. It's fractionating. We've seen this in acute care. You're going to see it in hospice and palliative care. There is no doubt in my mind that CMS, to, to, to prevent the insolvency of Medicare, which is currently projected at 2028, that's not many years away, and that target is constantly changing. Yep. Inflation is going to have a bad effect on that, for instance. And uh, 
They're going to do everything they can to preserve the healthcare dollar as the baby boomers age out. We all know the statistic about the amount of healthcare dollars that are spent in the last year of life, right? And that's why hospice and palliative care is critical to the entire United States movement toward value-based care. Um, these organizations that are represented on the call today can do one of the most important things that, that is needed to save billions of dollars, and that is to cut out feudal care. Feudal care doesn't do the patient any good, doesn't do their family any good, and it certainly doesn't do our national pocketbook any good to throw money down the drain. And the funny thing is, in so many ways in healthcare, there's a tension between doing the right thing for the patient and saving money. Not here. This is all about doing the right thing for the patient and the patients love it. They appreciate it. Just last night on an airplane, unsolicited, the lady next to me said, started going on and on about how beautiful it was that her mother was in hospice care. Mm. I mean, we have such a critical part to play at being part of the continuum. I would say, get ready to be the partner of organizations that are more and more at risk. And my final thought about, about the whole subject is, so many people are waiting for value-based care to arrive, like, well, we'll change our ways when. No, it already changed. We've had DRGs since 1983. Almost every state has managed Medicaid now. More and more CMS is going to downside risk as well as upside risk in its payment systems. Well, let's not stick our heads in the sand. It takes a while to develop the infrastructure to do this well. I argue that developing that infrastructure can actually help you in the fee-for-service world because who doesn't want value in terms of better, better quality outcomes and um, better experience of care, the patient experience, patient satisfaction, regardless of how you get paid. So don't wait around for it to happen because it's already happened to a large extent. It's happening today. And to the extent it's going to increase in the amount it's happening, you need to be putting together the infrastructure to deliver on those new tributaries that you're going to have to set up your new grist mills on. <laughs> so last question, Will, you're such a delight always. What are you currently reading? I've started asking that question of our guests and Definitely want to ask you that question. Maybe favorite book or something you're currently reading. The one on my nightstand right now is called The Long Fix by Vivian Lee. She is an MD, PhD with an MBA. She's been a leader in University of Utah's healthcare system. She's had national roles. She really goes into great depth about everything I'm talking about here today as to what it would take to fix our healthcare system, which really isn't a system in the United States, to preserve excellent care much longer than our current trajectory by the wasteful, ineffective, non-evidence-based care that we're going for now. Her book is all about how to improve outcomes rather than just doing more things that are of limited value. Good deal. You and I will have to maybe do another podcast on that book. Recently, we've traded emails about, which is unhealthcare. That one is a great read. I bet you it's probably next up on your list, I bet. I already purchased it. It's on the nightstand right next to the other. <laughs> Good deal. Well, Will, thank you so much. And as I always want to leave our listeners, I want to leave them with a quote. And so this is the book in. Uh, this one is actually from Dr. Wayne Dyer. Critics hang around and wait for others to make mistakes. But the real doers of the world have no time for criticizing others. 
They're too busy doing, making mistakes, improving, and making progress. Thanks for listening to TCN Talks.